2: In today's show we cover the 5 biggest news stories from the world of Formula 1 including the latest on the Piasco, the Pia fiasco, by the way. Alonso's reasons for joining Aston Martin, Lewis Hamilton opening up to Vanity Fair, news on the 2023 regulations and calendar and the build up to Formula E's 100th race and a season finale. Welcome to News from the Nerds, the midweek news show brought to you by the Formula Nerds. Every Wednesday we update you on everything you need to know from the world of F1. The show is brought to you by the news team at Formula Nerds. Keep up to date with all the latest news by visiting our website at formulanerds.com. So for those who don't know, my name is James, also known as Kenzie, some weeks when there are two Jameses on the show and today is one of those shows. So how's it going, James? Enjoying living by the beach in these hot days? Yeah, I do like it a lot. It's uh, it's been quite nice, I'm not going to (laughs) lie. No, oh, I bet. Uh, we also have Abby, uh, not by the beach, sadly, but how are you?
3: I'm good, thank you. I'm very jealous of James having a beach, actually. I could do with that right now, but how are you, Kenzie?
2: <laughs> I'm all right, thanks. And finally, we have the other half of my hive mind, Sam. Ça va? Sam, I can ask you in French now, right?
1: <laughs> oh, no. What have I started? Um, bonsoir. There we go. Yeah, yeah, Nailed it. Yeah. Hi, yep. Yeah. Brilliant. Um, yeah, I'm alright. I mean, I'm, it's very, very hot where I am. I'm neither near the beach nor nor near anything cold. Um, I don't know where I was going with that. It's boiling in here. I can't. You've think. got your bottle of ice, though, right? I do. I do. I have a bottle of ice. <laughs> you held it up to the camera. <laughs> it's an audio podcast. Yeah, <laughs> See, I told you I can't think today.
2: Okay. Well, let's let's crack on on that note. Uh, and it's James with our... First bulletin. It's the... The Piastri fiasco—it's just turning into a bit of a
0: tabloid TV show from the early two thousands. Because we've now got uh, Team Principal Ottmar Alt- now coming out and saying that one, they're going to probably take uh, Piastri and McLaren to court over what's going on now with the, with this potential contract. We don't know if it is there or not. Number two, he's suggesting we've now got four drivers uh, from fourteen who are going to be uh, in running to replace Alonso at Alpine, but we don't know who they are yet. Uh, and number three, he's also saying that Alonso is not a man of integrity uh, anymore. And then just. to Top all that off, we now have Daniel Ricciardo today, so asking for $21 million to walk away because Daniel Ricciardo holds all the cars at the moment. He's the one who is the blockage in the chain and will decide what happens next. Uh, a lot to crack in there, guys. Uh, where do we think this is going to go next and how much more ridiculous can this get? Um,
3: yeah, it seems to be dragging on for a while and a new piece of news around the same thing coming out every day. With... Piastri and Alpine going to court, I can see, I can definitely see that happening. Obviously, Alpine believes that they're in the right. They believe that they have a binding contract with Piastri and think that he should show the team some loyalty after being with them for four years as their reserve and being part of the academy and that. But then again, if he is getting a better offer, I can see why he would be enticed to take that. But what McLaren are doing now, I'm a massive McLaren fan, but at the moment, I, I'm not really liking that team. I'm not really wanting to wear my caps or my merch because of how they're treating Ricardo. And it is sad to see that that's happening. Ricardo's a great driver. He has a contract, but they want to get Piastri. Which, in my view, yes, Piastri deserves an F1 seat. But you can't. Oh, you can't just kick Ricardo out, surely?
0: Well, do you want to take a guess? I'll put it to the panel. Do you want to take a guess, that including all the costs? So uh, Piastri in court, Ricardo's buyout. How much do we think it's going to cost McLaren to bring Piastri to the team? Can I get some guesses? And I'll tell you what the number is rumouredly
1: looking like. Is this including Piastri's contract?
0: Yes, so any costs that they'll have to refund everything. How,
1: what do we think it's going to be? So I reckon that Ricardo will end up going to Alpine. To go back on what I said last week, where I said Gasly would go to Alpine, which is still a viable option. Um, if Ricardo goes to a different... okay regardless of if he goes to Happy or not, if Ricardo goes to a different F1 team, that makes the buyout for McLaren significantly cheaper. And it's not going to be $21 million. That's obviously what the opening kind of salvo uh, to those negotiations have been. You're looking significantly less if he goes somewhere else. Factor it in, I'm going to say, in the region of $15 million. Yeah, because the, the yeah. salary of the new team gets
2: subtracted from the $21 million, right? That's how it works. I believe so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we we'll yeah, it, it could be, could be anything. Once everyone has got their lawyers involved, but, but yeah, factoring that in, I mean, you almost wonder if if Alpine is a a screw you back to McLaren or, or give give him a really crappy salary because he's getting the same either way, isn't he? Like maybe he and they will
1: insert some like cheap first year and then he can go up from the second year. Well, they, they in some ways on the on the strangely on the Ricardo side of things they hold the cards because you've got a driver who is being forced out of his seat by his own team, and he is a driver who is, as we've always said, seems to have a very F one or bust mentality when it comes to where he's driving, especially next season. So, yeah, he's he's in desperate want of a seat. He doesn't feel his career's done. He feels like he's got a lot to offer still. So. Yeah, they they certainly could do that. Um, And, I mean, ultimately, it's the situation of Alpine's making the mess that they find themselves in. They wanted to have their cake and they wanted to eat it too. And now they've lost not only Alonso, but Piastri as well. Um, So, yeah, their fault. But, you know, potentially motorsport has a bit of a McLaren problem at the moment.
2: Well, oh, yeah, I, they haven't come out of it well. I would say Piastri also hasn't come out of it well. We'll see how everything works out. People have fairly short memories. I'm sure if he comes in does well next year, everyone, everything will kind of be forgotten to some extent. But in terms of, you know, your, your first impression on the F1 paddock and the F1 fans of the world, I think Piastri's maybe come out of this the worst, ironically. Like, it's obviously his own choosing. He's he's made the decision he wants to go there but it is to a team that is currently level pegging pretty much with Alpine he's made himself look like a bit of a bad guy doing it and he's putting himself he's setting himself up for a fall putting himself up against Lando in Lando's team compared
1: to Ocon in a team that he knows really well yeah it's it's a difficult one because I think Piastri and his management team are well within their right to pursue other opportunities particularly how Alpine have kind of done they clearly expect this loyalty but that they can just kind of keep him on ice for two years at Williams and and just basically treat him however they see fit for the team, hence my wanting their cake and eating comment earlier. But out of all of the moving parts to this, Piastri is the one unknown quantity. There is no narrative about him. So this, for a lot of fans, is the first experience of Piastri that they're having. And so, yeah, from a PR perspective, I can't imagine it's doing great things for him. No, I don't think it is at all,
0: really. Uh, I, I can see Piastri's point of view for in, to some degree, though, because he's been driving year-old cars for the last year or so. He's not really had much of a exposure to the current grid. He's been on the sidelines. There's a better offer available that allows him to move to a top team now rather than in three years' time. And also, I think... They wouldn't Piastri and Mark Webber, who manages him and his team, wouldn't be doing this so if they didn't think they had a watertight contract with McLaren. A public rebuttal, which we've all which we've all discussed at length now for numerous times. That's not something a Formula One driver does every day unless you're absolutely sure you're going somewhere. Out of interest, the so if we if we take that Ricardo had to be paid off, etc., it's looking like thirty million dollars to bring Piastri in. Um, overall, once you count all legal costs, now Piastri is good, but there are very few drivers, or any, very few sports people on the planet, worth thirty million dollars. Piastri is unfortunately not quite there yet, to be honest.
1: Well, no, exactly as was, yeah, he's, he's he's not a proven, not even quantity. He's not a proven commodity for the team. So yeah, a huge risk. There is one particularly bad hot take that I wanted to to bring to everyone's attention that I saw on Twitter earlier, and someone has basically screenshotted. Ricardo's position in the standings, which is 12th in the Drivers' Championship, on 19 points. And they've quote-tweeted it saying, this ain't worth 21 million. Which, I'm sorry, it's just... But it's just a total misunderstanding of how a contract buyout works, right? It's not about how much he's worth. He holds the... I was just like, I read that. I was like, oh, come on. They're like, oh, it's over a million dollars per point. I'm like, again, it's so why it's shouldn't 40, he take them either. why sh- yeah. why sh- why shouldn't he take them to the cleaners like they're treating him in this way i would get paid and he holds the cards so he's he decides when he
0: leaves and he decides how he leaves so yeah with the entirely is if he, he's saying effectively you want to buy me out of this Of you know here's my money here's my demands meet
1: it or i continue racing for, you know all for him I, I I do have a potential, I don't know if it's a solution, but I think it would be interesting. I think stuff like this should be counted towards the budget cap. So that 30 million is a huge chunk of the budget cap if it ends up costing that much. And it would disincentivise teams from messing around like this. They've they
2: mentioned it, haven't they, as a potential thing to include driver salaries. Mm. So I guess under that, it might end up falling into it anyway organically.
1: True, true.
0: Well, on that, well, on that as well, you've had Stefanour saying that he's suggesting Alonso is an amount of integrity, and there are four drivers in the range replacing Alonso, but we don't know who, we don't know who they are. So, Alpine, suffice it to say, are in a little bit of a mess, and we'll just see what happens. As we do every day, we'll wake up tomorrow, and who knows? It could be Latifi going to Alpine. Who knows? We'll just wait and see.
2: I was thinking that when they said these fourteen drivers, and they're going to have four, including Piastri, they said, I think stuff now i said so that would be piastri daniel
1: pierre you'd assume who's the fourth oh, no. it's a james come on behave nicholas sorry TV. <laughs> goodness me oh but, on, on the you know you've really riled me up <laughs>
0: <laughs> Sorry But, but <laughs> Porcher though is, 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 Seriously Porcher's contracted to To Alfa Romeo and Sauber So that would need another buyout I doubt it would cost 30 million dollars
2: But that would be another buyout yeah, Oh here's it's, it's it, a hot take it, I got one I got one So Porcher
1: to Alfa Joe to Alpine He was originally he do Alpine that. Academy Joe jo wouldn't do that He was not He, he didn't leave on well, I don't know if you left on bad terms But He's glad he, he got out of there it seems but also just to to go back to other James your point about you know a contract being in place a week ago we thought ricardo had a had a set in stone contract for 2023 and we thought that piastri had a contract with alpine you know, who knows what the situation is for portre yeah
0: they're not what the they're not what the paper they're written on are they I guess if my contracts but yeah i mean uh, yeah so uh, alonso uh, he's he's the one who's caused all this so uh see what happens with, with everything next week stay tuned
3: who certainly did throw a curveball in Alpine's plans. And it did surprise me when he was moving to Aston Martin, but Pedro De La Rosa has said in an interview that Alonso didn't make the move to Aston for the money. Apparently, he made it because of the team's winning project, which Mike Crack also said would happen, that Alonso has that killer instinct and he will always give you everything And having Alonso move to Aston is a clear statement of the intent at the team because they're not on the grid to make numbers, they're on the grid to win. But this year, yes, they are struggling in that, but I don't see them winning races next year at all. Maybe that will change with Alonso being there. But I feel like there is part of the money, or part of the reason that he moved to Aston is for the money. Who do you guys agree with? Do you agree with De La Rosa? Well, for starters,
1: I've got deja vu. Surely Aston Martin had the same ethos, said the same thing two years ago when they signed uh, Sebastian Vettel. So, how long does a project have to go on before before it's, it's not actually a winning project? It's a failing project. I think they did the right thing by signing Alonso. I think he's a, a you know it, yeah, it's a statement of intent again. And he he can, given the right machinery, win races. Large Stroll, we don't know, yet know that. So, I don't know. I think they've made the right decision. I think Alonso's probably also made the right decision. He's got the contract he wanted. He's made the money. It's mutually beneficial. So, I think it makes sense. I've got to be honest and say, I have a bit more of a um,
0: negative, so, no, <laughs> an artistic view of it, I guess. Alonso's what forty one, forty two. This will be his last contract in Formula One. Uh, he knows that Alp. He knows that uh, he knew that Alpine wasn't going to give him what he wanted, and he saw a much bigger opportunity with Aston Martin from a financial aspect. He's gone there for the money. Uh, whether whether you whether people, people agree with that, I don't know. But I just I, I'm with you, Abby. I don't really see Aston Martin progressing anytime soon. That team used to be. A real underdog that you could root for with foot when it was Force India, then Racing Point. They had half the budget of the top teams, and they were still able to pull results out of the bag. Since Lawrence Stroll took over, any trace of that personality of that team is gone, and they're not—they're not, they're nowhere near the same team anymore. Lawrence Stroll is pumping all the money in, which is great in some aspects, but you—but that only gets you so far if you haven't got the team around you to make it work and Lawrence stroll's idea was to copycat other cars in 2020 and 2021 and this was the first year they designed their own car for about three or four years and it's an absolute car crash um I, I they need at least four to five seasons at least to get back to where they were so cutting i know but uh aston are a bit i mean a huge disappointment because the team i once loved is gone oh, no, tell us lot. how
1: you really feel james yeah, I feel like the temperature's just kind of—it's gone up a few notches in
2: here. It's, it's a fair point, though. I think you're right. I mean, they were the underdog, and everyone said, you know, oh, let's imagine what they could do with a, an actual, with some actual money. And it, they've just gone backwards. Last year was worse than 2020. And this year was worse than last year. Yeah, I mean, if there's one thing that Fernando Alonso can do, it is moan if things don't go right. So it'll be interesting to see how it goes next year. Moving on from Alonso to his former 2007 nemesis, Vanity Fair published a fascinating piece on Lewis Hamilton on Monday. I highly recommend reading the entire thing, but it was a very open interview by Lewis, covering all sorts, from some horrendous stories of the racism he suffered in his youth to his almost appearance in Top Gun Maverick. One of those things was Abu Dhabi last year. I think it's probably the most information he's given regarding his feelings at the time. Uh, I'll read a bit of the interview. I was like, there's no way they're going to cheat me out of this. There's no way. That won't happen. Surely not. I don't know if I can really put into words the feelings that I had. I do remember just sitting there in disbelief and realising I've got to undo my belt. I've got to get out of there. I've got to climb out of this thing. I've got to find the strength. I had no strength. and It was one of the toughest moments, I would say, that I've had in a long, long time. I knew what had happened. I knew what decisions had been made and why. Yes, I knew that something wasn't right. So what did you guys think about that? I mean the interview in general, but we'll focus on
1: Harry W for now. It it stung to read that again, as 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 not just a Hamilton fan, but a, a fan of the sport. It it brought back some you know negative feelings about about what had happened. But I also think that he, the way he has come across there, the way he's spoken on the subject, and he hasn't spoken on the subject much. He, he eloquently put it, it was measured, it was considered. He made his point, you know, he was explicit in that, that he felt he had been cheated out of it and he felt that it had been manipulated, as we heard on the team radio at the time. But he hasn't gone overboard. He's he's made his point and he's let it, he's let it sit. I think he's, he's come across very measured and I think it's fair what he said.
3: Yeah, I agree with Sam. And I think it's actually really brave to kind of express what you were feeling in a moment that was so tough for him saying like he realized he had to get out of the car he had to undo his belt and actually face everyone after what had just happened it does take courage and yes obviously like max deserves a championship we all know that he is a great driver but i think the main thing for lewis was they were going into that race equal on points they were level and the safety car and Massey's calling screwed it all up, as we know. So for him, it is it It must be really tough to kind of come back from that. And especially since he said he was going to come back this year and come back with a vengeance, and the Mercedes hasn't been quite up to par with the Red Bull. So it was great to actually see him like open up and tell the world what he was feeling in that moment and kind of his reflections on it now.
2: Yeah, I think it was It was nice to know that he had good people around him in the aftermath. I mean, you, you obviously everyone saw Anthony Hamilton there and consoling him. There's a, a really nice quote as well, him saying how, you know, to have his dad there, saying how proud he was of him meant a huge amount because I think his, his dad hasn't kind of been effusive with his praise despite Lewis's achievements. He's always been kind of reserved in, in giving him too many compliments. So that is, yeah, it was... Kind of cathartic. I mean, I, yeah, same as Sam. It was it was tough to read again. I've never watched the in lap. I know there was footage of him, like the the dashboard cam, basically of him coming back. I've never watched that. I don't think I'll ever watch anything to do with ABW twenty twenty one, if not the entire season again. Uh, I don't think I will ever want to, to be honest, as as a Hamilton fan. But moving on from uh, from that part of it, and I mean. Another thing he made clear was that he was just messing with people uh, when he spoke about the piercing that people couldn't see. He laughed, I don't have any other piercings anywhere, but I love that there's people thinking, shit, has he got his balls pierced? Now, we still have to see uh, where that goes in terms of Mohammed Ben Salim's war on jewellery, but that does lead us nicely onto the
1: 2023 regulations. Sam? It certainly does. It certainly does. Uh, thank you for that beautiful segue via Lewis Hamilton's uh, testicles. Uh, You're welcome. It's
2: an
1: usual one. It just, it just shows how rent-free he lives in, in so many people's heads. Yes, yeah, so in the last few days, more and more discussions have been, you know, conversations ramping up around the sport as to what the technical regulations will look like for 2023. We're not expecting huge changes, but obviously one big issue this year has been porpoising. And... So one plan that is in place is to raise the floor edges of the cars by 25 millimetres. This has caused a bit of a stir because a lot of the teams feel that this is a little bit too much. It's a too bigger change. They would opt for something smaller, around 10 to 15, um, because when you get into the kind of territory of 20 to 25, it can slightly change what philosophy or approach might be more appropriate. So... That's looking like they're making steps to uh, you know, eradicate some of the issues that some teams, primarily Mercedes, have had, um, which obviously is causing a bit of a stir up and down the paddock. No one likes it when when regulations are kind of brought in to kind of not help a team, but you know, obviously there's a health and safety aspect here. But we've seen it in the past where decisions have been made that disadvantage of the team, obviously, whilst they're being made. Um, so yeah, there's you know a lot to discuss and unpack there. Uh, so I'm keen to hear your thoughts in a moment. But also, we're learning more about the calendar uh, that and how that will look. At the moment, we believe that Las Vegas will be the penultimate round of the season in 2023. Uh, let's just hope Danny Rick can, uh, can get there. He was very excited about the prospects of a Vegas race. Um, and that will be a back-to-back with Abu Dhabi 2023 uh, as the season finale. Big issue there, it's a 20-hour flight between Vegas and Abu Dhabi, and it's a 12-hour time difference. Logistically, it seems a bit of an odd decision to make. So, what's everyone's thoughts on A, the regulations, and B, uh, time zones?
0: From the regulation perspective, I can understand teams' reticence um, on that. I think the FIA is trying to find a way that pleases everybody uh, as well, which is not always the easiest thing to do. I, I we've got they've got under control of this year now but they wanna they want to stop from coming in from from next year. I think 20 I think the 2025 20, millimeters actually will work because it just resets the count for for the whole grid rather than I think favoring Mercedes which I think is the big fear for this particular seasons and changes that have been made so what we'll, we we'll, would we'll literally just need to see what happens as far as the calendar goes uh it's ridiculous you know if it, 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 f1 talks about being want to be carbon net neutral by 2030 and then sends everyone on a 20-hour flight <laughs> in less than less than a week um there's no i can't find a way of, of making that a case for that that's sustainable easy on the planet and let's not forget as well the fact that drivers will also be completely screwed in terms of their uh, jet lag they've just gone from the u.s to the middle east in what less than three or four days now, I know they need to be quick at adapting to uh, to, to, new, to new climates and new time zones, but that's a bit much to ask, surely.
2: Yeah, F1 is kind of hamstrung by Abu Dhabi and its contract to be the final race because they're into that American leg of the calendar, aren't they? So they've got Brazil, Mexico, and Kota. I think Kota was still planned to be around then next year. So they're always going to struggle, but they've it's about as badly as they could have done it. Nonetheless, they've gone gradually west. They could have gone, at least Brazil is a bit closer. Go Vegas, then across to Mexico, whatever. But now they've gone as far west as possible and then as far east. And yeah, we'll have to see. They will manage, the teams will manage because they always do. But yeah, you're exactly right. It totally
1: undermines their their plans for for going carbon neutral. Yeah, I mean... uh... Last season, it works quite well because you had the Qatar, Saudi Arabia, Abu Dhabi swing. And the season, at the moment, tends to begin and end in the Middle East. And that's fine. They do that because of temperatures. You know, they have this European season you know, when it is because, again, <coughs> money. other parts of the world. Yes. Well, okay. Yes. The reason why we end the season in Abu Dhabi is because of money. Cash is king. Thank you for pointing that out. Very good point. Uh, yeah it doesn't make sense especially as it is in direct contrast with what they said a few months ago that they would start compartmentalising the calendar into sections that are kind of geographically convenient with each other so it just doesn't work they're shoehorning it in and also this would be bad if it was say the second or third round of the season this is the potentially 23rd and 24th rounds of the year The teams, the drivers, the journalists, everyone, the fans. You know, the fans are going to be. You know, obviously they're not that they travel from race to race, but at the end of a long season, you're kind of going, okay, you know, I get it now. Especially if there's not a title fight. So yeah, I it just doesn't make sense to me. But whilst I'm on the subject of finales, I'm going to pivot slightly to the, the second best transition of the show. Uh, I can't beat James' one, uh, unfortunately. But is the Formula E finale this weekend in Seoul, Korea. Rounds 15 and 16 of the championship. That is if it goes ahead. There's been a lot of bad weather, there's flooding in Korea at the moment. So whether or not those events do take place remains to be seen. Watch that space, and that weekend will involve the 100th Formula E Grand Prix since the championship came to be in 2014. So it's it's due to be a big occasion, a big celebration. It is also a title showdown between primarily Stoffel Van Dorn, F1 fans, you'll remember him from his time at McLaren, and also Mitch Evans, uh, who is um he's been fairly unlucky in his career he's, he's always been competitive uh, in Formula E and he just hasn't quite got over the hurdle uh, to win a championship yet uh, so yeah watch that space those races are on very early they're on at eight o'clock in the morning on Saturday and Sunday qualifying even earlier um a few hours before so right kind of in the middle of the night or around the 4am feed for you young parents Another uh, news story coming out of this is Sam Bird, Mitch Evans' teammate, who broke his hand at the London Prix a couple of weeks back. He will lose his ever-present streak in Formula E. It was due to be his 100th race in line with the championship. But if that uh, if that event does get cancelled, he will retain his 100% record. So there are some silver linings there. Will he? He still won't have won a race. His 100th, 100% record of attendance. Oh, right. Okay. But good point. He has also won a race in every single season he's competed so far. And potentially that streak—well, it looks like that streak is almost over. But you could argue he's won a race in every single full season he's completed. So, so we continue. Yeah, it will be good to watch. Uh, I think Stoffel, its Stoffel's to lose now. Uh,
2: he's been consistent. That yeah, consistency does appear to be key in Formula E. Can be a bit oh, of a lottery yeah. at times, and yeah, Stoffel's just been there or thereabouts. Might not have got as many, I think Mitch Evans has more wins, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but over the course of the season, but Stoffel has just consistently been there, lots of podiums and we'll see, yeah, hopefully it goes ahead and hopefully we get a decent show and it goes right to the wire, but maybe not the very last
1: lap. Yes, hopefully not. Hopefully you'll be entertaining, but controversy free.
0: I don't mind last lap drama, it's just no safety cars involved, because last lap dashes can go well, like in 2008. That was that, that was that was drama free, but for thorough safety car, no.
2: Nah. Thank you all for joining me this week. I think that's uh about all
1: we've got time for. You had fun, always have fun. I've never not had fun on this podcast, James.
0: Same, and can I just also add as well the poster of Maverick of, of uh, Lewis Hamilton as Top Gun and Maverick took my breath away. Sorry, I had to say it. <laughs> I know <laughs> it's bad, actually, but I, I had coming. to say
2: it. Sorry, had to do it, but we will be back next week. Uh, in the meantime. Be sure to head over to FormulaNerds.com to check out the latest news and uh, also all your usual socials, Instagram, Facebook, etc. And also check out the Cut to the Race podcast. We had the pleasure of interviewing Bailey McElligot, F1's senior graphic designer, uh, who was a lovely guy and had some great stories about uh, the graphics he had planned for Turkey 2020 and how they ended up waving about a laptop to try and call it down. So make sure to go and listen to that. Uh, and we have some other great guests coming up as well to get us through the summer break. And then we'll be back to race reviews as normal. But we on the news team will be back next week. So we'll see you then. You're listening to the Cut to the Race podcast. It's Lights Out and away away we
0: go!
2: Sports Social Podcast Network.